Well, it's Monday. Let's see, the 14th of March, 2016. And welcome, everyone. This is the Monday Morning Analyst. I am your host, Senior Editor for MMA Fighting, Luke Thomas. So, last week we had UFC 196's response. I gave you a breakdown of the uh, McGregor-Diaz fight. McGregor, of course, losing by submission to Nate Diaz. And then I was like, oh, tomorrow I'll have out this uh, home versus tape breakdown. Um, I'm not going to have a home versus tape breakdown on that Tuesday. I've actually, what I decided to do was just push it back. Otherwise, there wouldn't really be a podcast today. So it's a little bit later than I would like, but at least there's some consistency about output week over week. So thank you for your patience. I really appreciate it. If you're watching now, uh, be sure to share, like, give it a thumbs up. That'd be really cool. Um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give a few shout outs to, uh, Couple of the fights that happened this past weekend, talk about them real fast, and then we're going to get to this home tape breakdown, and then uh, that'll be that for today. Kind of nice, kind of easy, kind of simple. So, there are only two major fight cards over the weekend. The bigger of the two, in my opinion, um, Invicta 16 took place, uh, by the way, you know this podcast is three parts, you guys know how this works. Anyway, uh, Invicta 16, this was at the Trinidad Pavilion in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Tropicana, which is across the street from the MGM Grand. Uh, it was headlined by an atomweight title fight between uh, Ayaka Hamasaki and Amber Brown. Amber Brown, of course, um, featured by our own uh, uh, Esther and Casey on MMA Fighting. You can check that out. Um, I'm not sure what the attendance was or anything else. It aired on UFC Fight Pass. I don't, ha- I don't have a lot to go over. I'm not going to go through the whole card at all. Just a couple of shout-outs. First of all, Maya and Porto, Jennifer Maya and Vanessa Porto put on a hell of a scrap, five-round scrap for the flyweight title. That was awesome. Um, shout-outs to Angela Hill, who defeated Stephanie Egink uh, at 236 of the second round. Man, Angela Hill, what tremendous improvements um, she's made. Now, she, her, her takedown defense wasn't really tested here all that often. Uh, Egink has some ability on the ground, but was trying to oblige, it seemed, um, Hill on the feet, but Hill's movement was really uh, great. Ring craft, uh, craftsmanship, uh, ring craft was really good. Um, consistently finding a home for the right hand, really excellent shot selection, continuous pressure, uh, and then finally a, a big right hand, which had been landing the whole time. Egging kind of had her left down like this. Um, she just get you know not even so much a lazy jab, but just generally the fight posture. Her hand wasn't here; it was just down here, and uh, and Angel Hill made her pay for it. But it wasn't, of course, only the right that landed. She was catching kicks and firing off of it. She was she was slipping punches. She was constantly circling. She was just really doing a very excellent job. This was an important fight for her. Stephanie Egging doesn't have a big name for UFC fans, but she's a very quality fighter, um, and. And Hill's win was emphatic. You know, we'll still have to see how she'll do when she's tested in more dimensions of the game. But it's clear that her time spent in San Diego has been uh, ultra beneficial for her. She looked fantastic. And then, I mean, what do you want to say about this this young lady? Uh, Irene, as they call her, Irene Aldana, defeating Jessamine Duke. Wow, man. Wow. Like, you know... I think sometimes guys tell me, oh, I don't like watching Invicta because no one really starches the other person. You know, no one ever gets stiffened up by strikes. And that's true to an extent. You know, obviously these ladies don't pack the same kind of power that, a, you know, um, uh, a Derek Lewis is going to pack. All right, fair enough. But, you know, accurate punches, quick punches, um, and excellently timed punches, boy, they do a lot of damage, don't they? Irene Aldana, wow. The finishing combination she put on Duke. Body shots, left, right, left. Or she started with the head, drops to the body. Duke's already kind of not moving, not covering up. Duke lowers her her arms to cover up the midsection where she's getting drilled, and then uh, Aldana goes right back upstairs, drops her, and you know, perfect finishing skills. 
just just excellently again the timing on her punches was great the movement she was going back and forth duke's you know we'll get to her in just a second but aldana um just doing a lot of things right man a lot really impressive really really impressive the way she looked and a good bounce back performance for her and um, she speaks english too so you know that really helps her i think going forward if the UFC decides to bring her on board and um boy just a lot to like about what she was doing. Really high-quality stuff from Aldana. Uh, Roxanne Monteferi defeated uh, Deanna Bennett. Split decision. Jaden Ufray looked pretty good over um, uh, Herrick Turbicio. And then uh, I thought the fight of the whole card, Sarah Delilio versus uh, Andrea Lee. Andrea Lee was looking amazing through the whole fight, you know, better in some spots than others. But you want to talk about somebody who can slip punches, who, you know, we talked about Conor McGregor, his only striking defense was trunk movement and head movement. She had that, plus she really had a nice high, tight guard, um, a nice diverse striking arsenal, finished combinations with kicks, uh, was all over the place, really had Delilio hurt several points in that fight. At the end, just kind of seemed to all collapse. She kind of let Delilio get a Kimura, which made her roll back down, belly up. At which point, Delilio went to neon belly. At which point, she took the back. At which point, she flattened her. At which point, she got the choke. Um, but there was a lot to like in Lee's performance. She's had a couple of tough losses. She's a lot better than her record looks like. Like a lot better than her record looks like. Um, I was very impressed by her striking. You know, obviously some other things she needs to work on. You know, you could see in the jiu-jitsu department she has to get back to her feet in stages. But she was able to eventually do it. So you know, she's obviously a work in progress there. But the progress is real. And she had an excellent throw. I, now. Men often joke that there's a lot of head and arm throws in women's MMA, and I kind of wanted to dismiss it, but it really is true. And I don't quite have a good theory for it. Maybe it's because, um, you know, I noticed that there's a little bit more base disruption when people are on top passing guard women's MMA. I'm not sure exactly what the reason for that is either, and I don't have any data to support that. It's just sort of my anecdotal observation. But there are a lot of head and arm throws and just head throws generally in uh, women's MMA. And a lot of times when you have one of those throws, they kind of just roll over your hips, the, your, the person you're throwing. Like if they're behind you, they kind of roll over and then they're on their back and they're facing you. They kind of roll around you, right? If I have them here, they're going to roll around me. If I have them here, they're going to roll around me, and even with authority. And Lee got in behind... Uh, uh, Delilio so much that she was able to toss her across her body, ass over tea kettle, got her hips way out there, picked her up, launched her across her own back, and then landed and came crashing down with her. An excellent, excellent throw. So, you know, uh, Delilio, though, just to give her some credit, just tremendous grit, tremendous determination, was hurt and like sagging against the, the, the fence a number of times, and then found a way to dig it out and, uh, and then get that choke at the end. A real veteran. Um, grit and determination by her. And uh, I was all for that card that really mattered. Then, of course, Justin Gaethje defeating Brian Foster in the main event of World Series of Fighting 29. There's really nothing else to talk about in that card of any kind of note. There was an interesting uh, standing guillotine um, by Lewis Taylor on uh, Corey De- uh, Devella. Corey Devella, you might remember, is the guy that injured Joe Riggs with a similar kind of throw um, that uh, Lee hit. But in any event, um, you know, those leg kicks of Gaethje are brutal. But it's hard to really assess, you know, how good or how bad Gaethje is. I mean, we know he's obviously pretty talented, but it's just not getting the the, the, the kinds of tests that really give us a complete sense of, of what he's got to offer, though he's obviously a very gifted and talented guy. And that was in uh, Greeley, Colorado, at the Bank of Colorado Arena. Um, okay. All right. So that's it. So let's do this. Let's uh, move to segment two, and let's talk about uh, what happened in Holm versus Tate 
why Tate won, what mistakes were made, what good things they did, and a whole lot more. Um, let's do that now. All right, segment two. Let's take a look at Home Tate as promised. This is, of course, from UFC 196, the co-main event. Uh, Misha Tate won. Let me get just the specifics of the timing of the round. It was very, very towards the end. Um, just want to be sure exactly to get the exact appropriate time. Let's see here. Looking up her record. Misha Tate defeated Holly Holm at 3.30 of the fifth round. So just a minute and 30 seconds left in that fight, and uh, she closed the show. So let's talk about uh, one thing real quickly. There, there was five rounds of this. I don't have time to show you five rounds of slides, and you don't want to see five rounds of slides. The slides we're going to look at are going to be for the grappling portions because those are, frankly, the most interesting parts. And the reason why is I went and I looked at the stats for this fight. Now, the stats, of course, don't tell the whole story, but they can sometimes tell a little bit of the story. And the story that they tell as I pull them up here, give me just a second, is that uh, there's a sort of a way to assess Holmes' performance based on her output. Now, not entirely, of course. You never want to get too far carried away with it. But it was kind of interesting in this fight, um, as I look at this here per round. Let's see. So I pulled up all of... um, Holmes fights on fight metric. So we go back to the Pennington fight, we go to the Renault fight, we go to the Rousey fight, and then we go to the Tate fight. Here's a couple of interesting things to think about. Um, the only times, there's been three occasions where Holmes fights someone, and in a round, they score less than double-digit significant strikes. Raquel Pennington and Holm each only landed eight significant strikes in the first round of their bout. Um, Rousey only landed two in the second round of her bout. You can understand why. And then in this particular case, uh, Misha Tate, I don't think she ever scored double digits except for that second round that she was in. She scored only seven significant strikes in the first, seven in the third, seven in the fourth, and eight in the fifth. That's it. The only time she had double digits was 11, just four more, three more than her highest total. And that was in the second round when she was you know, on top and banging with elbows. So the output for Misha Tate here, incredibly, incredibly low. Now let's sort of compliment what she did. Um, that You could say that's a bad thing, and ordinarily it would be, but she was basically just preserving her offense, and her argument was basically true. Her argument was, I'm not going to win a striking contest. And, the, and to the extent that this bout was a striking contest, she lost. Right? That's pretty clear. She had a licks in here and, here and there, but she basically lost. Um, the idea was, how many times do I need to get Holly Holm to the ground to submit her? And the answer is two. Two is all she needed. Now, if they fought three or four or five or six times, that answer may change. But at least insofar as that night was concerned, the first time they met, she only needed two takedowns to ever make it work. That's, that's a, that's, that sort of justifies the strategy a little bit. Because if, you don't, if you're going to sacrifice striking to say, I just need one or two takedowns and I can close the show, that, that's risky. But ultimately, if, you're, if you get the requisite takedowns, um, then, then it seems to have paid off for me. That's the first thing. But a very, very low output for Misha Tate. What she was mostly doing was fainting, 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 fainting left, fainting right, circling, showing different looks. And she was getting chewed up a little bit here and there. Um, you know, Holm using a lot of the same punches she used on Rousey. Uh, when, when Holm, you know, unlike McGregor who does head, you know, head movement and trunk movement, very much, you know, I'm not saying that uh, Holm doesn't slip punches or parry, but she does a lot of just moving with her feet. She keeps her body in alignment, 
we've talked about it before, nose, knees to toes, and she either circles in, circles out, side to side, lateral, but there's not a lot of movement up here. It's all really much below the waist that she does her movement. Misha Tate would come in, she would back. Misha Tate would angle, she would adjust. Or, it'd be the other way around, home would be the one leading. So I'm just trying to describe some of the context here. I don't think it was all that important to show all the slides for striking. You can go back and, again, the stats kind of tell the story, but here's the other side of the story that they don't tell. It's not merely that Misha Tate had a low output, but also, you know, Tate, or I'm sorry, um, Holm kind of had a bit of a low output. Here's her striking totals per round. Significant strikings that landed. 14, 1 only in that second. 13, 14, and 17. It turns out when you go and you look at her fights in her most dominant rounds, so let's say round 1 versus Rousey, she scored in that round 27 significant strikes. And the other two rounds where she did that, where she got above the 20s, was in Renault. 24 of 56 she got, and 27 of 77 she got. Um... That's a lot. That's a lot that she scored. Um, when she is in that 14 to 17 significant strike range, the fight's not really out of hand one way or the other, but she's probably leading. When she gets above 20, when she gets above 23, 24, she's in strong command. And so you can see Tate didn't throw a lot, but Tate did enough to stay out of trouble and at least offensively mute home in such a way that her output was kind of low. I mean, again, she attempted 45 significant strikes first round against Renault, attempted 56, attempted 77. You go back and look at this fight, look at how low her attempts are. Attempted 28 in the first, only attempted 2 in the second, attempted 41, attempted 40, attempted 31. If you can keep her attempts at 40 below for significant strikes, and then her accuracy at 15 or so or below, you're never out of this fight. You might, you might lose the round, but you're never really out of it, and you're really keeping her contained in enough of a way where if your grappling is that dominant, it comes to life later on. So, you know, look, you can go back and you can look at the tape. You want some more specifics about this. Uh, Holm does a really good job circling left, circling left, as Misha Tate follows, stepping out to the right and firing the left. Again, the punch goes here, and she lands her own. She's really good at that. We talked about that against Rousey. Um, she landed her own jab a couple of times. The sidekicks were there for her a lot, really backing her up. And, of course, you know, her corner giving her good advice and went home, would land the sidekick, and, and it would come a little close to having her having to limp leg out of a takedown or having a leg caught. Um, you know, her corner would tell her to go high. So you see her in the, in the third, fourth, or fifth round. She goes much higher. She never really does any kind of kicks. She does, of course, some side kicks, but she keeps them really high uh, uh, much more. Um, you know, there's a lot of things you can go back and look at. I just didn't want to waste too much time on that. I'll make sure some of these stats go up so you can see them. But um, suffice to say, um, the stats tell a little bit of the story here in terms of... Um, you know, how devastating the striking was of Holly Holm. And, and by the way, one last thing for Holly Holm that I should give her credit, her takedown defense was pretty good, but we'll go over that in some of the films. So that's a, just a general overview of the striking. I'm not going to get into too many specifics. Somebody else, else out there might have a much better breakdown of the striking. If so, I really encourage you to watch it. But let's look at some of the things in the grappling context because, to me, that's where this fight was really won and lost. All right, let's do that right now. All right, here we go. So... Um, a lot of people want to score this at 10-8. I don't have any problems with that upon second review. Again, I was live blogging this fight and live blogging. I scored it at 10-9, obviously, for uh, Tate. I mean, there's no way to score it for home. But um, you know, in, in retrospect, she gets the action going here. You can see at 433 of the second round and doesn't let up until the bell rings uh, uh, and obviously puts her in a lot of peril. Doesn't get very close with submission attempts, actually, when you look at it, but you know, close enough to make things interesting. All right, and I'm also using a new slide program today, so let's hope it works. So this is an interesting thing because in both of her takedowns, this is the starting position. The right leg will be forward of 
home. She'll be moving forward into a strike with her left. She'll have it extended. This one will be reared back. And tape, in this particular case, will duck it. In the fifth round, she actually eats the punch in the left and still has enough time to get around the corner uh, and get a takedown. Now, this is a very interesting kind of takedown that she got. And I, I think in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense. So let's go through it here. But again, just want to point out, you'll see in the fifth round, exact same kind of takedown. Uh, at least, exact, excuse me, exact same kind of setup to the takedown. In fact, worse timing in the fifth and was still able to get it. Um, you know, pretty impressive. So, what does she do? Oh, let's, Jesus Christ, what does she do? Let's see. All right. So, you can see she starts a little bit to her left and then kind of comes around the corner here. Hips are away, but she puts her hands around the hips and uh, starts to make something happen here. Now, here's what's interesting about uh, Hall and why I think this takedown works. Misha Tate does this double to outside trip. It's not really a double. You kind of let one knee go to like a knee pound, and then the outside leg comes and trips them. Why does that make sense for Holly Holm? Well, it turns out that when you try to get either, you know, underhook here, or even you try to change levels for a double, Holm is good at two things. And when I say good, I mean like lights out good. She's either good at lifting you off of her hips and then bumping you forward to create space and separate, or she's good at just digging an underhook right away and pulling you up off of her hips. But the point being is she's very good at re-raising your level and then creating separation very quickly, either with underhooks, frames, something. She's very, very adept at it. So going for a double on her, unless it's really explosive, not sure it's the best strategy. Holm doesn't do that. I mean, she tried some doubles and they didn't get anywhere. And you can see why... Rousey's takedowns might have had a little bit more success in that way. Is she's hard to clinch with, but if you can get around it, if you can time it well, like Tate does, you can use a trip, there's a lot of opportunity for you, which is what she does. And you can see already that Holm is trying to pull her upwards. I mean, look how much lower her hands are when she comes here. And you can see Holm lifting her up, because you know, that's just naturally what she does. St. Pierre was really good at this too. but And, you know, Tate, excuse me, Holm was moving forward at first, and now her feet are moving backwards. Always understand that even in a position like this, Holmes' feet are never static. Never. So what does Tate do? She reaches around with this left leg to put her down. And she does it at kind of at an angle. You see that? She doesn't do it straight back. She puts it out at an angle and they kind of turn left 45, maybe even up to 90 degrees. And that plants her down. That to me makes a lot of sense. If, unless you have a really explosive double... You know, some people might call this outside trip a less a, a move for a lesser wrestler, but you know, I, I I'm not sure I buy that. I think this is perfect for the kind of defense that Holly Holm offers. So anyway, it puts her down. You can see she plants her hand because she doesn't want to ever go too far, and you'll see she's uh, are, like right away she's going to try and get to her feet, which I admire, but there's a way to do it and a way not to do it. Okay, so. She's starting to get flattened out here. And what does she do? She goes to elevate with the butterfly hooks. But notice how she's elevating with the butterfly hooks. She's just like raising her legs in the air. Hips on the mat, shoulders on the mat. Nothing is going to happen to anybody good here. They're going to come off at an angle one way or the other. When you want to sweep to someone, if you do like a butterfly hook sweep from like a sitting guard, you got to get all the way on your shoulder to get them over. Like ass in the air, hips in the air, on your shoulder. That's how you have to do it. If you're just flat on your back and you're just extending your legs, it's not it's not going to work. And of course, Tate just goes at an angle. And you can see plants her right foot right away. And digs an underhook here so she can't come up. Because if she wanted to, with this amount of a hooking, this is enough, barely. If, she, if Holm had the underhook here, she could scoot away and stand. But with this underhook that Tate has, 
Holm can't go anywhere. She can just sort of angle you off to the side, and that doesn't do a whole lot of good in the end. So, uh, Tate begins to reestablish the position, and you can see, you know, Holm is on her hip, but she's about to surrender the whole position because, you know, she she tries to lift here, but she doesn't get, like, an effective hook on the inside. Like, like the, the instep should be, like, the top of the thigh, and you can see, uh, you know, Tate trying to clear it. So you can see almost that like if Tate wanted to, she could almost step over into mount if she could, she could clear the final the final hook. But this is not it's not an optimum way to you know to, to handle this position. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, okay, so now you see Holm try to get on her left elbow to stand. Okay, and she still has it. But this is going to force her back down. This underhook from Tate. That's another reason why you want it. What is Tate going to do? She could go for a cross face here if she wanted. I actually like the choice here. And oh by the way, credit to Holm. She has a knee shield here. I like the fact that she lost the position a little bit, but at least tried to reestablish something with a topside knee shield. Um, very, very good job on that. At least, you know, s- some amount of, um, you know, uh, defensive guard work there. Tate's going to go for the top of the head, like an, like a headlock, a front headlock. And this position here is really, really powerful. You can really control someone. You can pull them off of their base. You can, um, you know, if someone controls your hips and your head, and they, or, you know, at least your head and underhook, uh, even if it's a cross face or behind the head like this, it's just a bad place to be. So, of course, what happens? You know, she's on her elbow here. But you notice, like, the shoulder, like, it's, it's one thing to be on your, you ever, done, you ever done planks? You ever done planks before where, like, you're trying to, like, work on your core and you're on your elbows or maybe on your hands, depending on what they teach you to do? You know how your shoulders have to stay level? Like, if your shoulders begin to sag towards your hands, you, you lose the value of the plank. You can see her shoulder here sagging down because of the pressure that's being placed on her. So, to relieve that, she lets it go. And now you can see it looks like the shield is gone, and now Tate is in side control. So this is kind of bad. Now, now she hasn't fully established side control, but she's at least outside of the reach of the legs of home. Again, this underhook is critical to everything. All right. So now she decides to move up into the space. Home does a decent job here of getting her, you know, an arm in between anyway. Elbow, kind of forearm against the hip to push back a little bit. That's better than where she was. But, you know, Tate is just saying, pick your poison. You do this, I'm going to do that. You do that, I'm going to do this. And you can see her here driving elbows um, into the top of her head, like or, you know, the side of her head anyway, um, which, of course, is going to make her readjust her hands a little bit here. And you can see, look how high up Misha Tate is on this as well. Um, this is kind of a very low, super low, half guard here. It looks like Tate's on both of her knees. That's a little bit unusual. You would at least want this knee inside to push her away with that knee shield. And so here we are again. Uh, I'm going to make a point here. This is just my theory. I could be very wrong about this. You know, you don't have to listen to me at all if you don't want. In fact, I'm probably in a good position not to. <clears throat> I really believe the future of bottom half guard, if you don't have this underhook, and even if you do, so she still does, so Tate has the underhook, not home. Um, you need to have this on the inside as a butterfly hook. If all of your guard is going to be is just you putting up a shield from the rain, you're going to get rained on no matter what. You need to off-balance the person on top. And that's how you're going to create space, and that's how you're going to scramble to. You know, look at this. Holm is flat on her back. Her shoulders are still, you know, they're not quite touching the mat, but basically... And her hips are on the mat. She's flat. This is a terrible, terrible place to be. And she doesn't have an underhook. She would need an underhook on this side with this leg to sit out and stand. And she doesn't have any of that. She's getting controlled. And, you know, credit to Misha Tate, of course. I mean, look at this. So this is better because she has a frame on the throat, but she's completely flat on her back. If you try to frame when you're flat on your back, 
they're just going to put weight on you and you're just going to bench press as far as your arms are going to go and then you're going to give up because you're just not going to go any further. You have to create space and move. You have to create space and get on a hip. You have to create space and get up. You can't just sort of like extend your arms flat on your back. You got to be up and moving. This is a terrible, terrible place to be. So this is another thing that was like, you know, again, I'm not in a position to criticize any top fighters. And if you're getting hammered from underneath, you're going to make all kinds of interesting choices. But, you know, generally speaking, I've never heard a coach say you want to get your arm across your body like that. She's got this one hand here doing bicep control. And then she brings the other across, um, you know, to help to double the protection. You know, if you imagine your body having a center line, most jiu-jitsu coaches will tell you never bring one arm over the other except in very rare circumstances, like you're finishing a dominant choke from neon belly or something like that. you know. But you almost never, from a defensive standpoint, want to cross your arms uh, over your center line. And she does. And you know Tate doesn't make her pay for it, but you can see how this could have gone real badly in a different circumstance. All right. Okay, here we are picking it back up. You can see Tate realizes, excuse me, Holm realizes she can't do that, and she puts her arm back around before Tate makes her pay for it. But you know, Tate's on top again. Not much of a half guard control here. I mean, it's enough to keep her there. Or at least you know Tate doesn't want to go too far. But you can see who's got that cross face. I'm telling you, sitting on the hips and your cross face against, like you should never allow the cross face. That's how bad it is. You should never allow it. If someone tries to cross face you. It's bad. Like, once they get a cross face and they're good, or there's a skill differential, you're in big trouble. Like, you're in big trouble. There's no two ways about it. Like, people will tell you, oh, you want to learn how to stop someone's pass? You know, don't let them control your hips and don't let them control your head. Stop stop either of those. Because uh, if they get that cross face on there, I'm not saying you can't get out of it, but at a minimum, at a bare minimum, you have created a lot more work for yourself, if not already surrendered everything awful to them. So, now you see Tate. Again, kind of trying to change everything. Just want to point out here, you know, you got this underhook that that, um, that Holm is doing. It should be the other side where you have the underhook, which she still doesn't. You want the underhook on the same side, you have the outside leg to their outside leg, right? So she's posted out here. If you're going to have a leg on the outside of that one, the arm needs to be underhooked on that one to stand. She's got an underhook here. This can only get you in trouble because they can get trapped. They can, they can do all kinds of stuff from here. You never really want to do this. should be f- creating frames. And then getting off at an angle. But, you know, and also, you know, real quick point. Why hasn't Tate passed? Because her knee hasn't gone past sort of the hip line of home. That's why. She still has that knee on the outside. And again, because she hasn't really attempted it. But, you know, that's what you're looking for here is the knee on the outside of the hip line. Yes, it is for now. Loosely, but it is. Now, this is one thing you saw. I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, Holm tried to sit up from here. She got her arm on the outside of Tate's arm. And tried to sit up, but I don't know how she thinks she's going to... Just mechanically, it's just not going to work. Tate's using this... You can see live toes, heel off the ground, driving forward to her weight this side. And her hand is planted. Her foot and her hand are going to beat... Oops, let's close this back up. Sorry about this. Here we go. Her foot and her hand are going to... This hand and this foot together are going to beat Holmes' abs every time. 
every time. Your abs are just not strong enough to do that to someone. So mechanically, there's just not a lot there for you to do. If you could get your hips back and sit up, maybe. But, you know, again, she's driving her weight this way. There's only so far you're going to go. So what does what does Tate try, or Holm try to do? She tries to, you know, scoot back and then sit up. But if, as you scoot back, you have to you have to go you have to go back down a little bit, and then Tate just followed her. Well, you can kind of see here because this thing is just giving me fits right now. Um, you can see how she, the knee is still behind the hip line, barely. It's still visible anyway, right? And she's hammering the elbows as she has moved. I really want to show this on in, in greater detail. Well, whatever. You get the idea. I might come back to it. 252. Go back and look and see how Holmes' elbow, look how far away it is from her body. We've talked about it a thousand times. Elbows in tight, strong. Elbows out, weak. It's just, just a rule of the jungle, man. That's how it goes. All right, so now she's flattened down again, right? Still has some kind of a half guard here. This one should be a butterfly hook if you ask me, but, um, but look at this. Flat on her hips, flat on her shoulders. This is just terrible. This should be in front of her face. She's just not, you know, it's not great. And by the way, Tate got that underhook early and kept it. I mean, you got to be fighting for these underhooks, man. You got to be fighting, fighting, fighting for these underhooks. So, what does she do? She tries to get to her left, home does, and roll. Again, she's going to try and get that elbow down. This is not a bad idea, trying to get the elbow down, but she's got nothing like th this should be an underhook here to help protect her and help and help her, you know, create a block so she can get her weight out behind her, scoot out and behind at an angle. Not just up. She's trying to sit up almost in a way. And without this right arm being underhook, it's just not going to work. All right? So here's where it gets kind of interesting. You can see Tate is... Uh, now there's almost no half guard. I mean, she wanted to move in the mount. She could. You can see she's got this like underhand thumb up grip. I bet that that works because your thumb can kind of slide into the groove of your opponent's glove and tape. Now, you can't hold their glove. But if your hand slides into a groove that the leather creates, that probably works well for you. Uh, you can see that again here. I mean, this is just pretty terrible too, right? Like, she would need an underhook here to stand because this is the outside leg. She's got her hips going here. Now, you're about to say, well, why doesn't she just get to her left so she can protect her arm? Well, if she does that, she surrenders the mount. We saw that last week, right? Or two weeks ago. So, if she, because if she brought this knee down, if home brought her right knee down, Tate would just slide the left knee out. Boom, you're in big trouble. So, she can't really do that. So, that's a problem. Um, and this would have to be inside, but you know she's getting controlled here. It's, this is a difficult spot, man. This is just a superior grappler on top of uh, you know a lesser grappler. That's just what this is. Period. So, is this the one? Okay, here we go. This is where everything goes from bad to worse. Tate, excuse me, Holm is going to try a hip bump sweep, but this is a bump sweep that they teach you from side control. So what you're going to see is. Tate is going to raise her base in the air and try like a knee slice pass. As she does it, Holm tries to time it and get her elbow across the stomach of Tate so she can hip bump, throw her by her, and then roll to her base. But the problem is she, in my judgment, mistimes it. This is something that works from side control, and I'll show you why it works from side control here in just a second. Let's go to the, here we go. Check this out as this video loads. We'll go here and we'll watch this. Now watch this. I'm, this is slow. You see... Tate is going to raise her base in the air because she wants to get this knee through. Now what? Let me stop it here. Okay. Here's what Holmes is about to do. Holmes is going to bump in the air so she can bring her left arm across and basically underhook this side of the ribs of Tate. She wants to corkscrew 
left leg over right, and you'll see this in just a second, and then she wants to come out, and I'll show you what's wrong with this. Here we go. She bumps, here comes the left arm through, see that? These are just individual slides I put together here, understand that. Not putting any video on here. She's going to come out, now stop here. You see where she's going now. She's going to go hip down. She's going to get to her feet. But what is the problem with that? It's this whole thing. Here's why. There's a couple reasons for it. So what is the problem here? The reason why this escape works from side control and not really top side half guard that where somebody hasn't even finished a pass is because when you do it in side control, when you come out to a base, you come out facing them at a, almost a 90 degree angle. Remember, inside control, you're in a 90-degree angle. When you do this escape, you come out facing them in that way, which allows you to launch your own takedown, which allows you to back out, allows you to get your hands up. It allows you to do all kinds of number of things. Go back and watch this tape. She never really creates that kind of separation. She never gets that angle that she needs so that when she comes around, she gets the hip bump. You can see, look, there comes the hand. She's going to use that to underhook and like you know, uh, palm up the belly here which she's going to use to come around. But watch the knee. The knee never moves. Just follows her. Look at this knee from tape. Just follows her the whole time. The whole time. That should never be that way. She should be way over here. But she's able to just, basically, she's allowing, she's uh, used Holmes' own momentum to ride her over. One more time, take a look at this. She's going to go from left to right. Holm is. She's going to bump. Drive the hand through. And she's going to try and come to her base. From her right to her left. She's going to try and roll left. But the knee just catches the hip. And just comes right along with it. Also, this underhook is not going to work. You have to have a frame on the face here. Not have them have their underhook where she can control your roll. You notice she's just kind of her her her, her roll. Maybe maybe it could have worked from side control like this, or you know from um from half guard if she was like lightning quick. But the other problem is that her roll is being slowed because Tate has this arm trapped that's not allowing her to get to her base on all fours as she needs to. So just didn't really go all that well for her here. And of course you see her get to the base, and Tate just follows her. She just follows her. This is very very simple. All right, let's keep going. All right, so now we have Tate basically on the back, doesn't have the hook in. Now she has the hooks in and is going to get ready to flatten. This is good from uh, home. It's good basic defense, two-on-one, but she would want, you know, you want their arm, you want to have your ear like on the back of this, man. You want to have it so far extended that they can't do anything. Um that's I don't know, I don't ever feel comfortable trying this without that. So now you see uh, two hands here as Tate tries to sink the choke. More of a gable grip here. It doesn't quite have it all the way through. Tate gets two on these. That's going to be good enough because it's not all the way through. You can probably stop it. There's you know there's space here. I just want to point out something here because you can see what Tate's about to do. She's about to slide the choke in. Hand on the mat. Hand here. Look how look at there's you can see daylight chin to chest. Daylight chin to chest here from uh, from home. There's just a ton of space. Crazy, right? It's just not going to work this way, guys. It's just not going to work this way. So what happens? Whoop! Choke comes right in. So you should have had this hand up. Chin should have been down. You know, again, when I say should have, I can't tell her to do that. But I'm guessing that most coaches 
probably won't disagree with that. Uh, everyone's different, maybe, but this is just way too much unoccupied space that's unprotected, in my judgment. So then there it comes. She launches the choke, hand on the mat. She gets yanked backwards. BJ Penn is the best. Why do you yank someone this way? Because you yank them off of their base. They can't control it. That's a great thing that Misha Tate does here. And you can see what's the difference here. Top hand attacking the top hand. You always want to attack the high hand. That's the one that's going to be sealing everything. And you see that she she kind of gets her hand here. It's not the one across the throat. Elbow is not quite centered under the chin. So she's stopping here, stopping the high hand. But you can see she's touching the high hand here. Two hands on the high hand of uh, Misha Tate. Frank Mir is very famous for saying if you're in the same weight class as someone, they shouldn't be able to rear naked choke you from behind with one arm. Right? I mean, it'll be awful and uncomfortable, but they shouldn't be able to finish. Maybe if there's a weight class difference, they can do it. Otherwise, no, they can't do it. So here we are. And you see elbows kind of flared out. It's not underneath. And she's fighting the high hand. That's the one that's going to do all the damage. What is she doing? Fighting the high hand. Now, this is tight, you know, but what is she doing? Two hands on one on the high hand. This is great. This is really great. And then again, this one gets wind up getting separated. She's going to tuck this under her arm. You see that she's going to tuck that under her arm? So Tate's right arm is tucked under her right arm, and now she's controlling the high hand here. So she's in good shape. Then she gets a two-on-one, and the round ends. Okay, so now let's take a look at what happens in the fifth round and why that's very, very different. Fifth round. Now, remember that punch we said that Tate likes to use to set up her takedown? She's going to wait until the right leg is forward, and she's going to wait for a left to get under. Now, she's actually going to eat this one, but this is the same setup. She was waiting for Holm to extend on a left on her cross on her big punch. That's the one you're not, you know, your jab, you're not as committed on it, right? It's when you, it's when you jab and then cross, you're going to be, your weight's going to be more committed in a forward direction. That's what Tate was waiting on. And of course, now she eats this one. Uh, and you can see the angle that Holmes steps out at, but it's not enough because here comes Tate. Hips facing like this way, home facing this way. Interesting to, to note that. And she gets this. Now, I want to point out something here. You're going to watch her. She's going to, uh, Tate is going to bring this right foot and she's going to put it to the outside of the right foot. You're going to see that. So she switches her base. She's standing on the left. She switches, right? She gets behind, left foot on, or excuse me, right foot on the outside of the right foot of home, and then takes her down with basically centrifugal force. Okay, that's what it does. Now, quick note here on the blocking. Uh, I am not, I mean, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. You know, I'm just here, a guy talking about things I like. Um, but I really don't know hardly anything at all about proper blocking on this kind of takedown. I've seen everything from, you know, plant your foot on the ground. I've seen everything from, you know, curl your ankle in and use the bottom of your foot to block. Then she kind of just, in this particular case, just plants her toes and does it. Uh, if anyone knows proper blocking for this kind of thing by all with your feet, by all means let me know because this is something that I have uh, virtually no knowledge of ever. I mean, I've, I, there's different takedowns that people show you with different kinds of blocking things, but I just don't know enough about the foot blocking to really say a whole lot about it. But in this case, it works. So that's what I can say. She comes down. And immediately she's working. So what is the major functional problem with what Tate does, excuse me, what Holm does here? The major functional problem is the following. It is important that this week is the NCAA Division I National Wrestling Championships because there's something in collegiate wrestling, and really wrestling generally, 
called referee's position. You guys have seen it. It's where one guy gets down on his hands and knees, the other guy gets behind him, and the guy underneath is trying to create separation. In college wrestling, for example, if he gets separation, he gets a point. This is called the referee's position, and it takes place at the center of the mat. Okay, And there's a whole science behind escaping and controlling from referee's position. But what is the key in referee's position? Well, a lot of things. One, exploding to your feet in a single movement and blah, blah, blah. But the other one is when you get to a certain point, you're going to fight that high hand to break their, 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 you know, their hand control, but you're going to lean back into them with your shoulders. You're going to get your feet out in front of you, and you're going to lean back. Why? Your natural intuition is to go move forward, head forward, shoulders forward, feet behind you, like this, forward, feet behind you. That's your nat- cause How would you run off of, the, off of a block in track and field or something? That's the way you would run, right? That's that's your intuition. It is completely backwards here. You want to lean backwards from referee's position. And this is not exactly referee's position. understand that. But you get the idea. Because if you're leaning forward, your hips are back. Uh, what's closer to Tate? Holmes' hips or Holmes' head? Well, pretty easy to answer that one. It's her hips. What's easier for... What's closer to home? You know? Her 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 feet or um or what's more what's in front of her her feet or her hands? That's the problem. That's the problem. Your feet should be more in because when you lean back, now the person behind you is carrying your weight, right? So now they're carrying your weight. That makes it harder for them to grip. It'll probably not just that, but extend their arms forward. Again, if you want a tight grip on someone, you got to grab it and then you got to suck them into your hips. Like you're, you know, you're done. You're done. Um, you know, uh, working your lats. You have, you have to pull the dumbbell right in tight along your to your ribs, all the way tight. That's the tightest spot you can get it. Uh, if you lean your hips forward and your shoulders back as you fight the high hand, they can't do that. You want to see a perfect example of it? I'll show you one now. Take a look at this. This is Jose Aldo on Frankie Edgar. What do you notice? Well, you notice what is Jose Aldo doing? He is leaning back. He is fighting the high hand. And he's going to do this to turn into Frankie Edgar. Now, eventually, you could. There's a number of different ways you can turn in. I, I, you know, a wrestling coach can tell you better than I could. But you can go left. You can go right. Whatever. Um, but that's what you need to pay attention to here. And we'll come back here to, to Tate and Rousey, or excuse me, Tate and Holm. Watch which how she does does the opposite of what a wrestler would do in referee's position. So let's keep going. Now Tate is trying to get even closer, get better control. Okay, so this is almost like back control now. She's got this elbow up. She's kind of preventing it. This is okay, but here's the question. You know, we gotta, you got to pick a side to stand on. You want to you wanna pick the side that they're slagging off to, and I'll show you what I mean. So if they've got a – I think what, what happens here is that um, uh, Tate has this outside hook. I can't quite tell, and she's got this foot here. You're going to see that – now she's trying to pull her back down. I think yeah, I think she does have the hook at this point. She's trying to pull her back down as she sort of rolls to one side. You see uh, Holm is trying to step a foot out and turn in and face her, but she can't quite do it. Okay. This is the problem. See how she's slagging to this side? This is not the side you want to step in on when they, when they do that. You're going to get chopped down if you do that. If you step out here when they're on this side, they're going to take you down to that side. It's easy to block and pull you in. If they're off to this side, you want to step with your right foot first. That's what you want to do. They're going to be much harder to chop on that side. Now, at this point, there's a lot of other problems here. She's got, you know, 
Um, she's maybe already let the hook go too deep, and she's got you know a, a variety of different controls going on. So there's other problems here, but it's stepping out with this leg. Nope, that's not the one you want. You want to step out with this leg, inside the inside space. So that's the first problem. What is she trying to do now? Look, she tries to crawl away. What does that do? That just gives all the space that she needs to really cement that hook. Again, this is the opposite of what you do in referee's position. Again, I know this isn't collegiate wrestling, but those jokers know how to stand and break hand ties like pretty well. All right? So what does this do? I mean, look, she's crawling. She's giving her everything she needs at this point. She's And, and take controlling with that police, you know, sort of uh, dominant grip here on the left side. Steps out with the wrong foot. You got to step with this one, the inside one. That would allow you to turn and face with this one. Watch what happens. Is she going to get chopped down to the right side? Let's see. Let's see if she gets chopped down to the right side. Boom. She gets chopped down to the right side. You got to step with this foot, not this foot. Again, it's the same thing. Your intuition is to lean forward and not back in referee's position. Your intuition is to step with the free leg. That's not the one you want to step with. You want to step with the inside leg. That's the one where you can't get chopped and you can then do a lot more damage. But she doesn't, and she gets chopped, brought down to her elbow, and then ultimately all fours. And what you'll see here is that once she comes down with that left side, um, tape begins to ricochet and come over. She begins to establish. Holm tries to roll to her left to avoid getting the left hook in. Right hook comes in. Now she's close to the fence. Holm tries to stand. Sinks the hook. Again, you can tell. Look, just completely unprotected. Not protected enough anyway. And she begins to stand. All right. So this is where things go pretty bad. Um, she's leaning against the fence, so she's preventing the left hook. And But you can tell her left arm is still being controlled here. A lot of times, you don't just want this hand here to control. You want to have the opposite hand meet their opposite hands. So in this case, having Holmes left meet her right. That's not Again, that's not required. It's all different kinds of ways to hand fight, but would have been would have been good for her here. Um, but the one she really has to worry about is not this hand. I'm sure she wants to relieve this pressure. You don't want this, but it's 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 letting the left hand of Tate go. If Tate can't free her left hand, there's no choke here. But she lets it go. Um, either I, I think Tate lets it go, thinking, well, if I let this go, I, I can A, seal the choke, and B, look how wide the defense is of home. She doesn't like shoot her hand straight up. She kind of comes out with it, out at an angle, which is too slow. Because now she's trying to fight that high hand, and it's not going to work. Okay, so the fight's over here. Now, I'm not sure how much time is left on the clock, but th this is where the fight is over. It it's completely done. Look at this choke. This is an expert choke. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how you finish a rear naked choke. Golly. This hand can't be peeled. Once someone is here, you are done. This hand would have to come over and on top of the head. It's not going to work. They're going to be so tight on you. You, look at, you can see the elbow is like in line with the chin here. This is it. This, the fight's over. Holm doesn't know it yet, but trust me. Head to head. Hand tucked behind the head. This is even better than Nate Diaz had it on Conor McGregor. This is perfect. A perfect, perfect, perfect choke. The fight is over already here. You Once they get it here, where they're tucked behind the head, and then they're pressing it down, and they're like a violin. She's pressing it into her face. It's over. All right, now what's um, Holm going to do? She's going to try and throw her here. But here's the problem. This hook, as Tate goes over, just brings herself over. Because at this point... Tate is attached to Holmes' back, not merely her throat. This attaches her to her hips. Watch. 
She's going to go over. Where's that hook? Here's that foot. See the outside foot? The hook is just going to bring. Here's that hook. It's just going to bring her over. There's the hook. All the way through. There's the hook. And now she can swing the other one on top. Look at her face. Just, I mean, squeezing with God Almighty force. And now, just want to quick make a quick note. Look at how the ribs are pointing out of home. That means that Tate is doing both the choke and she's she's stretching. She's stretching in a kind of convex way here, uh, the back of uh, Holly Holm, which is also very painful. And then you can see, look, you can't even see the the left hand of uh, Tate. Is that crazy? It's buried under there. Uh, and here again, this is this is when the fight is over. Look at her. This is this is why she lost this particular exchange. Look at this. Left hand is up here, and she's got two hands on the bottom one. It looks like this does not look like it's attacking the top one to me. The, 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 once you need to be attacking the high hand, and once the high hand gets here, it's too late. It's just it's, it's over with. Look at that. This fight is over right here. Right here, this fight is over. Sometimes you guess you can shuck guys over if they're really loose, but it's not going to work this time. And that's it. That is how Misha Tate beat Holly Holm. All right, last but not least, third segment. Very quickly, we just take a look at what's coming up. Um, there's only one major event this coming weekend, I believe. This is going to be UFC Fight Night 85. This will be at the Brisbane Entertainment Center in Brisbane, Australia. This, of course, is going to be headlined by, uh, let's see, Mark Hunt versus Frank Mir. That should be interesting. Uh, Neil Magny versus Hector Lombard. Neil Magny is a favorite. Think about that. Uh, Jake Matthews versus Johnny Case. Dan Kelly versus Antonio Carlos Jr. That's a fun fight. Uh, James Tahuna versus Steve, is it Bosse? I can never pronounce French properly. Beck Rawlings versus uh, Seohi Ham. Ham is about to go ham on her. Uh, Brendan O'Reilly versus Alan Juban. Dan Hooker versus Mark Ediva. Leslie Smith versus Rin Nakai. Rin Nakai is back, y'all. Uh, Richard Walsh versus Viscardi Andraj. Ross Pearson, Chad Laprise, and then Alan Patrick, Damian Brown, the last two will be on Fight Pass. The other, all the other rest will be on Fox Sports 1. So I guess that's taking place on a Sunday morning then, um, Saturday evening for us. Okay, so that will do it. Guys, you can give me, uh, again, like, share this video. Really appreciate it. Thank you for your patience and waiting for this. Um, still got it up. Still got it done. And uh, thank you so much. So until next time, appreciate you, appreciate you watching. Like, share, follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. And until we meet again, enjoy the fights.